Michael Kruger writes about how on August 7, that's a good date, by the way, I got married on August 7, but on August 7, 1974, I didn't get married then, I was just a couple weeks shy of turning one, on August 7, 1974, some of you may remember this, uh, a Frenchman named Philippe Petit, I'm not sure if that's the right way to say this Frenchman's name, but we'll go with it. He did something remarkable. In the middle of the night in Manhattan, he strung a cable between the two twin towers, and they were actually still being under construction at that time. We we were watching Home Alone the other day. I'm going to make a point with this. And Home Alone was filmed before 9-11, and to see the twin towers, still kind of weird to to see them since they aren't there, of course, now. Well, in 1974, on August 7, they were still under construction, and early, again, in the middle of the night, rather, he strung this this cable between the two towers, and in the morning, awestruck crowds from below looked up as Philippe Petit walked back and forth across the cable multiple times, performing one of the world's most daring high-wire acts. Anybody remember that? Any of you? Okay, good. Uh, Gloria, you do. Oh, yes! I heard the, Michael Kruger talks about this movie, and uh, yeah, um, so I, I should check that out, but astounding to think about. Um, here's the question that we ought to have. Uh, how did... Did he keep from falling? How in the world is it that someone can do those kinds of things, whether it's between the Twin Towers or under a circus tent, uh, still high up, but, but obviously much lower? And of course, the answer is, uh, and there's only one, one answer, uh, these, these tightrope walkers have to keep their eyes focused on their destination. They cannot look down. They, they have to keep their eyes looking ahead. So Hume Lake Christian Camps, for a lot of years when I was a youth pastor, we took kids there uh, when, when I was, especially in Southern California, youth pastoring. And they have a high ropes elements course uh, where you get, you know, satcheled in or whatever it's called, harnessed in, and, and you, you go across like 10 different things uh, all high up. And then at the end, you get to do a big jump or something fun uh, to, to get down to the end. One of them uh, is a balance beam. And, and I mean, a balance beam, it's like, what, no wider than a brick, uh, pretty easy, honestly, for a lot of people, most people just to balance on that, you know, if it's like a foot off the ground. But somehow when it's, you know, up high, it becomes a lot harder. And uh, uh, and I was pretty proud of myself that I could go kind of quickly and get across this thing. And, and the, the worker stopped me and told me to go back. And they said, okay, now close your eyes and do it. And of course, all the kids in the youth group are behind and in front. Yeah, come on, Paul, you know. And so I, I managed, but I'm shaking. And then they said, go back, now do it backwards. And they made me turn and try to go across this, you know. And it's so funny. I think about that. Like, we'll take our kids to the park, especially when they were little, and they'll have little balance beam things. It's so easy when it's just a foot off the ground. But when it's higher up, it is much harder. And the key I can tell you, uh, and I'm not going to do what Philippe Petit tried to do, but the key is to keep your eyes focused on the destination, not to look down. And that is really what we are about to see this morning. This morning we're going to see, we are to, and I'm going to put it this way, consider carefully Jesus. That, that is the command. In fact, this is one of the first commands, I think, in Hebrews uh, here in chapter 3, verse 1. The ESV says, consider Jesus. If you have an NIV, it says, fix your thoughts on Jesus. It's the same word that's translated all throughout uh, the New Testament, like looking upon different things. So it does seem to speak about looking, but but looking with thoughtful intent. And that's why I think the ESV chooses consider. So I'm saying it means 
consider carefully. And if we are going to live the Christian life, if we are going to behold like the title of our series that Jesus is greater than anything and everything, than all the angels we've talked about for the first two chapters, and as we're going to see today, that he's greater than Moses. If, if we're going to live the life we're called to live by grace through faith in him alone, uh, even as we saw way back earlier this year at the start of my sabbatical, Hebrews 12, uh, right, even there, different wording, but the idea there is the same, same word picture, just like a runner fixes his or her eyes on the finish line, uh, we, we are going to see this idea, we are to consider carefully, fix our thoughts on, our gaze on, our intention on Jesus, not on ourself, not on how well we're doing or not doing, but we are to consider carefully Jesus. And today, then, even more to our text, we are going to consider carefully Jesus because he is greater than Moses. He is greater than Moses. And our author is going to build this call, this charge, this exhortation to consider carefully Jesus because he's greater than Moses uh, around three things. We're going to see a comparison, a contrast, and a caution. This morning, 1 to 6, chapter 3, a comparison, a contrast, and a caution all built to call us to consider carefully Jesus because he is greater than Moses. Would you pray with me one more time? Even as we just finished singing, Heavenly Father, um, it's our prayer that Christ would be all around us and that, in fact, we would fix our thoughts, our gaze, our, our attention. We would consider carefully Jesus. In, in light of this text being greater than Moses, but for everything, for life. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So verse one, let's jump right into the passage and let's look at this, this exhortation, this command to consider carefully Jesus. The writer begins, therefore, and that connects us back to the end of chapter two. It's where we were last week. This great teaching about Jesus as our high priest, and how he is the one that propitiates, he appeases God's wrath because he, as the God man, fully God, fully man, the one who is fully human, he can in fact offer himself as the sacrifice needed to take away God's wrath. And, and, and he's bringing many sons and daughters to glory with this great salvation that he's accomplished, right? All those amazing truths in chapter two, therefore. And, and let's just, just own this a minute. Like that is supposed to be the Christian life. Because of who God is and what he has done, especially in the person and work of Jesus, therefore we, we obey we follow, we consider carefully. It's all to be a response. We don't do anything to try to earn his love, although a lot of people do a lot of things to try to earn his love. We have to continually remind ourselves and praise the Lord for the word, which reminds us of the order of things. So he says, therefore, because of who God is and what he's done in Jesus, holy brothers and sisters. This is the first time now he's speaking to this group. And this is a change in the, the book of Hebrews. He, he's been preaching, the, the writer. He's been exalting uh, the Lord Jesus and 
and we've been, it's almost like a worship service, like even today, right? We spend a lot of time singing, we have a call to worship, and we're hopefully drawn Godward, and then we get to a point now, we get to, to the scriptures and Christ, and then there's some horizontal, some application and whatnot, and it's similar here. Chapters 1 and 2, exalting the Lord Jesus, and now, therefore, we get to some exhortation, and he calls this church, not just brothers and sisters, the Apostle Paul, of course, famously all the time, refers to the people he wrote as his brothers and sisters, and and we are brothers and sisters if we are in Christ and in this church, But, but but notice he puts that word holy, okay? It's the same word that comes, again, we looked at it last week, the word to be made holy, to be sanctified, because Jesus is the one who sanctifies us and who himself was sanctified, and, and he makes us sanctified holy. So that is true of us. Raise your hand if you're holy this morning. Not a trick question, but sort of, right? If you are in Christ, you are holy. You're a saint. You're a saint. You're, you're a saint who sins. Uh, you're you're at the same time, saint and sinner, simultaneously both. Okay, that's, again, important truth in the scriptures. But positionally, we, we, are, we are looked upon through the righteousness of Christ, the saintliness, the perfectness of Christ. And so he says, therefore, because of who God is, what he's done, holy brothers and sisters. That is true of us. That's true of our identity. And then he's not done. You who share in a heavenly calling. We have been called, again, to borrow from the other writers, out of darkness into light, out of death into life. We've been called by God. We've responded to that call, if, if indeed we have. And, and we have this now heavenly calling. So we are in the world, but not of the world. We are to be uh, sent ones. We're going to come back to that idea in a moment. Uh, we, we are here awaiting the new heaven and new earth, but we aren't just passive, doing nothing, no good for anything kind of thing. No, we're, we're, we're here, but we know there's this heavenly calling. We've been called to something beyond the things of earth. This is who we are. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in this heavenly calling, and then here comes this command, this exhortation, ESV says, consider Jesus. And again, the idea is consider carefully. As as I mentioned, the NIV puts it, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Again, the Lord Jesus himself would use the same word to speak about paying attention to beams in one's own eye. He would use this word to speak of looking at or considering the lilies of the field and and the like. And in fact, we're going to see this word consider show up several more times in Hebrews. It means to consider carefully. And who are we to consider? We are to consider ourselves, although we are holy saints, brothers and sisters connected. We share in a heavenly calling. And by the way, notice the family nature of that. This isn't just about individuals being holy and saints and being a brother to other brothers and sisters, having my own personal heavenly calling. Like this screams of the body the fellowship. We are brothers and sisters together. We share this heavenly calling. So yes, this is our, y'all's identity, but we are to consider that. The, the focus is to be on Jesus. Consider Jesus. And then he's described the apostle and high priest of our confession. 
This is interesting because this verse is the only place in the whole New Testament where Jesus is called an apostle. So most of us, when we hear the word apostle, we think of the 12 apostles, right? Those ones that Jesus had called to himself and he chose of all his disciples, 12, and he called them, named them apostles. It it simply means to be sent. More technically, it would come to be a reference to those who had seen the Lord Jesus especially after his death and resurrection, and there were 11 left over, and they would, they would add another in the first, book, first chapter of Acts who would be part of that 12, and then the Apostle Paul would go on to be considered one as well because he encountered the Lord Jesus who met him on his famous trip to, uh, uh, not Emmaus, but to Damascus when, when he was still a persecutor, but Jesus showed up. So often we go there, we think of apostles, right, that group, but the word means to be sent, and the writer here says, Consider carefully Jesus, this one who not only is the high priest, and we we heard that last week, but before he says high priest, he reminds us that Jesus is, in fact, the apostle and the high priest of our confession. It's fascinating to think about these terms together, and scholars point out that there's no accident or or haphazardness or flippancy to using both terms. The the writer is, is, I think, very much making a point. Apostle means sent. So when you read the term apostle, you would not only think of the 12, but we think of someone who has been sent. Jesus said in John 20, verse 21, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. In a, in a very lowercase a way, if, if we live as missionaries, whether in our neighborhood or if we go travel the world, we, we are living as apostles, as sent ones, okay? Uh, so Jesus is the original apostle. The Father sent him. The second person of the Godhead came in the incarnation, right? That's last week, came as a sent one to, to this world. But not only has he come from God, the Father, from being in this perfect relationship to be the God-man, but he also is our high priest. That's what we focused on last week. And the priest goes the opposite direction, right? The high priest represents humans to God. So Jesus, the one we're to consider carefully, he is the apostle, the one who came on mission to save, to seek and save the lost, And he's the one who is our true and better high priest who represents us before God. Here's how one commentator says it. Jesus uniquely is both an apostle and priest. He goes both ways and he can do this because he is both God and man. Who better to represent God to humans than God? And who better to represent humans to God than a human? Jesus alone is both these things. He perfectly bridges the gap between humans and God. And right there, we could say, let's stand and pray and and go forth. I I prayed with the worship team just before. We were about to sing House of the Lord. And and, and we're going to see in a second that we are are the the house of, of the Lord. Again, individually, the Spirit lives in us. But as a corporate body, we, we are God's house. And, and there's to be joy in the house of the Lord. Sometimes the life is filled with sorrows and frustrations and trials. And we, we learn, we try to learn, how do we do life when, when there's hurts and struggles and trials and temptations? How do we have joy in the midst of it? The Apostle Paul said, he's learned to be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. And there's this kind of tug of things back and forth. Our Lord Jesus is the, the high priest and the apostle. He represents us both ways. And, and right there, 
that that could cause us to stand and, and rejoice because we don't need to represent ourselves. We, we, we've had one who's come to us and who now represents us, and that is enough for everything we will face. And that alone ought to cause us to rejoice regardless of what we are going through. But the writer goes on. He says, Consider carefully Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, of, of our faith, of the thing we're proclaiming. Our, our Christianity, right? He, he is the one. Our confession is, is what it means that we are sons and daughters. We are Christians. We are called. We are saved. And look what it says in verse 2. Who, still speaking of Jesus, was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in God's house. And there we have now, finally, the comparison between Jesus and Moses. Oh, Jesus is greater. We're going to see in a second that he is considered more worthy of honor than, and glory than, than Moses. But, but there's a comparison. Moses was faithful in the work that God had called him to do, but Jesus himself is faithful in all of God's house. And it's this great comparison. Moses, he had a special place. If we were a first century Jew, it would be hard to find, you know, think of like you're, if you're a kid that's got action figures or something, and then you like to put your favorite action figure forward as you play, or if you're into superheroes and you have your favorite, it's always Batman with me, right? If you were a first century Jew, like Moses, the Moses action figure was who you played with all the time. I mean, just think about Moses. He led the Israelites out of Egypt. He, he had this foundational moment, of course, when he meets with God and God gives him the, the 10 words, right? Um, so he gets to deliver the law. He's the writer of the first five books of the Bible. Um, he is a major pillar to the Jewish faith. Deuteronomy, however, would say to Moses, that there was going to be sort of a new Moses. There would be one God would raise up like him from amongst his people. So, so the people knew that, oh, Moses was special, but there was to be another one who was, who was coming. The true and better, as Keller would say, Moses. And, and it would be none other than the Lord Jesus. So, so Moses gets a lot of glory. He should. He does. But Jesus, in fact, as much as the comparison is there, as much as... Moses was faithful in God's house and what God had called him to do. It was Jesus who was faithful. And now we begin to see then in verse uh, 3, um, there, there now gets to be this, this contrast. So look with me at verse, verse 3. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. So what we see right there within now this contrast, yes, they're compared. They both were faithful, but Jesus, now we're going to see there's a contrast though. There's, there's more honor to be put on Jesus. And what the author does here in this contrast is give us kind of two nuances, two, two directions to the contrast. The first here in verses 3 and 4, is that Jesus is greater than Moses in the same way that a builder of God's house is more glorious than the house itself. 
So I was thinking about this. Um, one of my favorite drives when there's not a lot of traffic, which isn't often, is uh, to head south on 101, and especially when you get into Marin County, and uh, before you get to the bridges and all that stuff and the, the bay, uh, on, on the left, on the east side as you're heading south, you have the Marin County Civic Center. I've just always been fascinated by that building from little kid time when in the back seat I would see it to even now driving. And in all these years, I've never actually gone over there. But the Marin County Civic Center, designed by Frank Lloyd Wright, is, is a remarkable piece of architecture. And of course, it's been deemed an historical site and all of those things. But as much, as, as cool as the building is, right, who should get the, the glory for the building? The, the building? Well, no, we would say, no, Frank Lloyd Wright is the one who gets more glory as the one who designed it, who came up with this cool idea. And by the way, um, this was borrowed by George Lucas and kind of that picture of that building. Just think some of the iconic different, different scenes in some of the Star Wars movies. I think some of like the places on Tatooine, you know, where Jabba lives, like kind of, you can kind of picture he was probably inspired uh, living there in Marin County by this building uh, that was being built, even as he was probably dreaming up as a young boy what, what the Star Wars movies would be like. So this contrast exists here. Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has than the house itself. And I just love sort of the parenthetical nature. The ESV puts it in parentheses of verse four. Every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. What a good reminder. We do a lot of things. We build families, we build companies, we build whatever. But the builder of all things is God. We, we, we are the actors in a lot of respects, but there is one controlling it all, not controlling puppets, but who's sovereign over it all. He's controlling, building all things. Just a great reminder. So that's the first contrast. Jesus is greater than Moses in the same way that a builder has more glory than the house itself. But then there's a second uh, direction the contrast goes, verses 5 and 6. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. From Genesis to Revelation and all bunch of stops along the way, Moses is called a servant of God. In Numbers 12, verses 7 and 8, and I think probably the writer who's been quoting the Old Testament quite a bit, and next week, uh, we will see him get into the Psalms again. But, but our writer probably has Numbers 12, 7, and 8 in mind here. Speaking of Moses, he says, Moses, this is, this is God speaking in Numbers, he is faithful in all my house. Kind of sounds like Hebrews 3. And God goes on in verse 8 of Numbers 12 to say, with him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Moses had this special, unique relationship. Again, which is why the first century followers of God and, and prior, they looked to Moses. I mean, he's a great one. Not perfect, but he's a great action figure to have out. But Jesus is greater than Moses in the same way. And so here's that nuanced direction. The contrast goes, as a son 
has greater honor than a servant in a house. And so again, we have this, this, this picture here. If you were to visit someone with a lot of money that has a butler or a servant or you know, something like that, um, you, you would ring or knock and they might open the door and let you in and you hopefully would be polite to them. But you wouldn't probably, unless they're your friend, right? You're not going to see them. You're going to see the person that lives in the house. Uh, we've been watching recently reruns of Different Strokes, uh, the old, old show uh, on television. Um, and uh, Willis and Arnold, of course, get to move from Harlem to uh, whatever, Park Avenue, I think it is. And uh, do you want to remember? I'm getting like a lot of blanks out there. Okay. Different Strokes. What you talking about, Willis? Okay. Some of you, you just Google it, save the Google, and watch it later. Okay. Anyway, Willis and uh, Arnold, they get to live. Uh, they're adopted by Mr. Drummond, and, and they live there, and he's got a daughter. But, but what's this, the housekeeper's name? Mrs. Garrett. I haven't been watching it as much as others uh, in the family. But Mrs. Garrett, she gets to live there, and she takes care of things, but, but, but she doesn't have as much glory as, as Kimberly and as Mr. Drummond and as the boys do who, who live in the home. So we, we get the picture. That's all that our author is saying. Oh, there's Moses, and, and he was faithful. He was not perfect, but Moses was faithful to the work that God called him to do. But, but Moses, the writer says, he's faithful the same way a servant is, and it's not the same as the son. And we've already encountered Jesus as the son who comes to call us to be sons and daughters. And so he says, again, I'll read verse 5. Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. And what did he do as a servant? He, he testified to the things that were to be spoken later. So he did. Moses pointed forward, and Moses pointed the people to the law that God gave, but ultimately was all preparing everyone for the son who would come. And then we have the first part of verse 6. But Christ, he is faithful over God's house as a son, as a son. And so Jesus, as the apostle sent, as the high priest who represents us, who's faithful and who has this comparison with Moses, yet in the same way, he is greater than Moses. And the author, in a very kind of quick, logical way, says, yeah, we can compare him, but really there's a contrast. Jesus has been faithful as a son, as a son. And he's that son that the writer has been preaching about and exalting for the first two chapters of Hebrews. And then we come finally then to what I'm calling a caution this morning. Verse 6b, second part of verse 6. And we are his house. So Jesus is faithful as a son over the house of God, God's people. He's our brother. We saw last week and he calls us brothers and sisters. He's not ashamed to, to do so. And Jesus, he is faithful over this house and we are his house. And there's that glorious truth that we've already encountered that's already been stated over and over again. If, if the work of Jesus, his life and death, has been applied to us 
if we've in faith responded to the gospel, if we're Christians in the way the Bible lays it out, not culturally, not because our parents raised us or drug us to church or any of that, if, if again, we are trusting in the Lord Jesus' life and death and, and, and everything about him for our life and death as well, you understand what I'm saying, then we are God's house. That's not the caution. That's just a statement of fact. But now we have the caution, the last part. If indeed we hold fast our confidence, our courage, if we hold on to, have a grip on our our confidence, our courage, and our boasting in our hope. Our hope, again, that's in Jesus. And we have now for the first time this if indeed phrase. We're going to see it next week in verse 14. The writer's going to say in verse 14, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold the original confidence to the end. So we have this conditional sounding phrase. What do we do with that? What do we do with these warnings that come? And I have a whole book in my library on the warning passages in Hebrews. And this is one of those uh, interesting and debated topics within the book of Hebrews. The writer here, right at verse 6 of chapter 3, he's going to do it at verse 14, and we're going to see other moments come up as well where we're, we're, we're put, presumably, in this tension spot. What do you mean, if? So are you saying, writer to the Hebrews, that that I'm part of the house of God only if I hold on and, and continue to believe? Does that mean I could lose my salvation? And, and probably every one of us has thought about that at some point. Most younger Christians do. I know I came to faith in Jesus as a teenager and to try to think what I've believed, if I, if I stop believing it, do I, do I lose or, or not get to benefit from the salvation? And, and those are big questions. And, and I'm going to keep it short today and, and leave a little bit of tension, but hopefully um, not too much tension. Uh, in fact, this is what is called the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. And so the scriptures seem very clear that, that Jesus will lose none whom he has saved. He says things like that all over the place in the gospel of John, that all that the father has given him, he won't lose any. And I want to trust him that he won't lose me. Okay, so then if I balance that and numerous other passages that that speak of what can be called eternal security or that once we're saved, we're truly saved. So what does this mean then when there's a conditional sounding phrase, if indeed? Well, it means a true Christian will persevere to the end. If indeed they're saved, they will hold fast, hold on to that confidence, that courage, that, that hope that they have. It doesn't mean there won't ever be seasons of doubt. There's a big difference between doubt and questions and a, and a spirit of unbelief. Don't, don't let the enemy or yourself or others cause you to think that if I ever have questions, um, that, that, that means I don't believe. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to wonder about things and to, to seek God and his word and to talk to others and research. I mean, this is, this is life. We need to do that. And... None of us are perfect. None of us were saved by God and then reached perfection overnight. You've heard me joke, some of you before, that I became a Christian in high school and it took me two weeks to get perfect. And that's obviously a joke because 
I'm far from it. I'm a saint, as are you if you're in Christ, in, because of Christ, but I am being sanctified. I'm being made holy. And there are times I fall short of my sainthood. I fall short of the glory of God. I, I don't live in, in a way that is in keeping with my profession of faith. But I repent. I, I turn back to God as I did for the first time in high school when, when God's call came to me and I believed I repented and turned to him and I'm following him, but I'm prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, as are you. And what do you do when that happens? You repent. And that repentance shows that you indeed do believe these things. So to persevere, the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints means that God's sons and daughters they will be saved to the end. It doesn't mean, though, that we've got this, this ticket to heaven, kind of like a ticket to get into an amusement park or to get into a store that we just can keep in our pocket and then go live any old way we want to live. And then at the end, oh, I've got my ticket. You see, that person kind of proves that they haven't really believed. They probably aren't really a saint. They probably aren't really part of the, the family of God. They haven't been... been dealt with by, by the goodness of Jesus. There's a, there's a difference between following Jesus and stumbling and falling, whether that be short little moments or ex- even some extended times, but over the course of one's life, the evidence of, of the, the presence of God becomes evident. And oh, do we love to look out at people and, and to pronounce our judgments. And we have to be careful because we don't know. And again, when you're young, I, I know, I wonder, oh, I wonder if that person's not a Christian because they said they believe, but now they live, you know, like they don't. And we don't know. We don't know. Now, if their life is showing that they don't believe, well, okay, their life is showing, but ultimately the Lord knows the heart and God's not done with people just as he's not done with you and me. And we ought to pray, God, whatever's going on there, you know, draw them back but we are called to persevere. So we ought to hear this caution as just that. Christ is faithful over God's house. He was faithful as a son. And we are his house. It's done. It's done. We aren't his house because of what we do. We are part of his house because of what the son has done. The apostle, the high priest, right? The one who's called us brothers and sisters. And we're part of it. If indeed we, we hold on. And so these warnings come to cause some of us to go, oh my goodness, do I believe this? Because maybe I haven't been living. And, and again, the scriptures in several places call God's people to, to ask that question and to say, Lord, did I believe in vain? Why am I not? What is going on? And there again is a moment to repent, a moment to reach out to a brother or sister and say, will you, will you help me? I'm struggling. I'm starting to wonder. Maybe I don't believe, and we, and we need to be the family and work through these things together. So we'll come back to that, that, those words again, even next week, and we'll have more to say on these. I don't think a Christian can lose their salvation because it's not theirs to lose. It's God's. God is the one that saves. God's the one that gives. And if anyone's going to lose, it would be him to lose. And Jesus, as I said already, has promised he won't lose any. So if you are in Christ, stand, walk, live securely 
but, but take heed, see how you're living. Are you persevering? Are you continuing on? And that's what this warning does. So to circle back to where we, we started, this call to consider carefully Jesus, the apostle, the high priest who was faithful, it's, it's the call of the Christian life. And, and, and there's great people like Moses, but, but this one that we're to consider, he, he's the one we're to fix our thoughts on, to consider carefully, the one who's done it, who will keep us. And he's our delight and our joy, our savior, the one who we've sung about today and praised today. And now the one I'd ask you to stand so that in response to him, we can be dismissed together to go and to follow him and, and, and to do what we sang earlier, to live for him alone. So to that, let's, let's pray. So Father, in Jesus' name, by your grace and by your presence, Holy Spirit, we want to consider carefully Jesus. He is our example. He's, he's the one who has come from you and who has lived the life that we can't live and we look to him. But not only our example, even more, our Savior. And we look to him for when we fall short, when we're struggling, when we're discouraged, when we're sad. We look to him when we're happy and encouraged and bold and brave. Help us take our eyes off of others. Help us in, in the day we live to not spend more time than we need to, and some, sometimes we need to spend time on the challenges of life, but help us to first and foremost consider carefully Jesus in everything we go about doing. We love you in Jesus' name.